These words have been in our hearts and lips already as we have sung them. I invite you to listen now to God's word as I read them, Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sang this psalm, Psalm 118. In the upper room, he had gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover feast. And there he also instituted the Lord's Supper. Remember those words that, that uh, he used in that institution. Taking the bread, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. This cup is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards, Matthew 26, afterwards it records how they got up from the Passover 
And they went out singing a hymn. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The hymn that they sang, it is commonly agreed that it is this hymn, this psalm, Psalm 118, that I'll be preaching on today. Imagine, if you would, Jesus and his disciples singing the words of this psalm in the context of the Passover, in the context of the Lord's Supper, and in the context of Jesus Christ going to the cross to lay down his life for our salvation. Listen to these words again, and imagine these words ringing in Jesus' ears and in the ears of the disciples. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Oh, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Knowing that that sacrifice was about to be made. And then these words, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. The hope of the resurrection that rings through these words. This is a time in which we commemorate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And though Psalm 118 was written many years before the birth and ministry of Jesus Christ, I hope that you will see that they are all about Jesus. They're all about the work of redemption that he came to accomplish, about his death and about his resurrection. And isn't this what Jesus himself said to the disciples after the resurrection? These words of the Old Testament were written concerning me. The words of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were there to tell of me, of Jesus. And more specifically, he says it was written that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead. He opened their understanding of scripture so that they would see and understand the scriptures and the work of Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. And so today I'm going to preach from the Old Testament, a New Testament gospel passage or message. For really the Old Testament is full of that New Testament gospel, is it not? because it is about Jesus. And my prayer is that you too would praise God for his death and resurrection. That you would come to remember the works of Jesus and anticipate what is still to come. I'm going to use Jesus' words to his disciples as something of of an outline for looking at Psalm 118. Beginning with, These words were written concerning Christ. And by that, I want to to help you to step back and to see the entirety of the message of, of Scripture as pointing to Jesus Christ and how the Psalms and specifically Psalm 118 should be understood as referring to Jesus Christ. I want to do this because as we as a congregation are considering this year uh, a a theme of learning to love the Psalms, part of the reason that motivates us to do that is 
is a misconception about the Old Testament. There is a misconception that thinks that when when Jesus came, that it marked a, a radical break with everything that had gone beforehand. And that radical break means that the Old Testament was about a different way of salvation. And it's even sometimes suggested that that it's a different God, that the Old Testament God is a God of wrath. But that when Jesus came, there's this fundamental change that leads us to think of of God as a God of love. But I've called that a misconception for a very good reason, because, because all of the scripture tells of one God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, It tells of one plan of salvation, and that plan of salvation is through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is an anticipation of that coming of Jesus, whereas we stand on the other side and, and know fully the coming of Christ. But knowing that fully, we can still kind of fall prey to that misconception and push the Old Testament to the back shelf as as having nothing to do with us. But Jesus came in the context of the Old Testament. His ministry is full of that context. And the, the promises that he came to fulfill, the promises that he proclaims as the gospel message are are really nothing less than the proclamation of the gospel that runs from first to last. It is all about Jesus Christ. Let's narrow down then to Psalm 118 because uh, it plays a, a really fascinating place in the role of the children of Israel understanding the gospel promises. Psalm 118 is the last of of a little collection of psalms, uh, and there are several of these in the book of the psalms, but Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 has come to be called the Egyptian Hallel, the Egyptian Hallelujahs. That means that these were psalms that were sung to celebrate the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, from the bondage. And they were sung especially during the Passover. They were sung at a time when they were looking back to the way that God had delivered them physically and also looking forward to the promise of the Messiah. And that that theme of the deliverance from Egypt is actually a theme of deliverance that you can find in a lot of places in the Old Testament. It comes to stand as as something of of a symbol of the gospel in the Old Testament terms. There is still that anticipation, but it was a remembering of deliverance from slavery. And so they were called to think back on the way that the Lord had delivered them. 
Well, what was the Passover all about? Well, the children of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. And it was a bitter slavery, so much so that they cried out to God to bring them out of that slavery. And the Lord heard their cries, and he, and he did deliver them. He brought plagues upon Egypt so as to humble the nation, the most powerful nation in the world, God humbled. And he humbled their gods by, by defeating the god of the sun and the river god of Nile and the many other gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And at the very last, God had, had said that there is one last plague that would come, the plague of death. I'm sending my angel of death to pass through the land of Egypt. It will kill the firstborn from the greatest to the least in all of the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of all of the animals. <clears throat> But my people will be delivered from the angel of death and delivered from Egypt this night. They will be delivered by the fact that you will take a lamb, a spotless lamb. You will sacrifice that lamb. You will kill that lamb and take its blood and spread it over the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death passes through the land of Egypt, it will see the blood of the lamb and will pass over your house. I hope even here you begin to, to see, you know, from our perspective, the lamb of God without blemish that takes away the sin of the world that comes to deliver us from our sins. And the children of Israel were delivered that night from their physical slavery. And that deliverance, as I said, comes to be remembered every year by the feast of the Passover. And they would sing these psalms, the Egyptian Hallel, in association with the Passover. And that's why we can say that it was on the hearts and the minds of Jesus and his disciples. And it's agreed that when they had eaten the Passover feast, and rose up and went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, that they sang this psalm, the conclusion of the Egyptian Hillel. But it was on the collective hearts and minds of the entirety of the nation of Israel. They were all singing these psalms. They were all gathering in their homes to eat the Passover meal. They were all coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and the sacrifice of the Passover lamb at the temple. And in a glorious and, and moving way, you can hear that collective voice of the nation, even at the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples came into the city to celebrate the Passover. The children of Israel recognized who was coming. And they sang praise to the Messiah. And what words did they sing? Psalm 118, 
verses 25 and 26. As Jesus came, seated on the donkey, the people and the crowds came around him and were shouting, Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Oh, save us, Lord! Blessed is he who comes. And they took off their cloaks and they lay them down in front of Jesus Christ. And they took the branches of the palm trees and laid them on the street. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this collective consciousness of Israel being shaped by Psalm 118 identified Jesus as the one who has come to save them. And Jesus accepted that praise. He accepted praise that was given to the divine Son of God. And it's remarkable that he does so. The rest of Scripture, when when mankind prays a a human, and it's a righteous human, they say, "Don't, don't do that. Even angels say, don't do that. Don't worship me. There's only one who's to be worshiped, God. And Jesus accepted these words of Psalm 118 as applying to him. And when the Pharisees came and they said, you gotta, you got to shut these people up. you got to make them stop. Jesus said, no, this praise will happen. And even if they stop, the stones of the streets would cry out. There's an acknowledgement from Psalm 118 that this Messiah, this Jesus Christ is the promised one that would bring salvation. Now, narrow down closer to the words of Psalm 118 that have shown how, in general, the Egyptian Hallel and Psalm 118 would have been in the hearts and the minds and would have been the context of these last days of Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. Now let's look more closely and see, in the words of Jesus again, how it was necessary, necessary for the Christ to suffer. Psalm 118 describes it both poetically and then prophetically. Poetically, it speaks of the the stone that the builders have rejected. And it becomes, in time, the chief cornerstone. The, the, the word picture, the analogy that's being used here is, if any of you have ever worked in construction, you know how important it is to have a, a definite reference point. The cornerstone was the first that's laid, and every measurement and every building point is is begun there. Uh, Imagine, if you would, uh, 10 different people beginning in 10 different places and the house coming together kind of willy-nilly. It would look ridiculous and it would be unsafe unless it has a cornerstone to anchor it. 
before we get to the importance of that, poetically, Psalm 118 says that this stone was rejected. It was discarded. And this speaks of Jesus. Jesus, who has always existed from eternity past as the second person of the Godhead in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, who is very God of very God, humbled himself in the incarnation. Without ceasing to be God, he became man. He humbled himself to be our Savior. But that humiliation of the incarnation is a glorious truth for us. Humiliation, nonetheless, of eternal God becoming man. But it's, it's more humiliating than that. Because God came to the children of Israel, the, the people whom he had said, you are my people. I will be your God. You will be my, my people. And he came to them with, with this gospel. He came to lay his life down, and they rejected him. And you read it all through the gospels where, where, where Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven and declaring how he had come to fulfill all of these promises, promises that they were very familiar with, and yet they rejected Jesus Christ. And it led to a bitter hatred of Jesus. It led to his betrayal by Judas, one of his trusted disciples. It led to trumped up charges and false accusations. It led to his being crucified on the cross for our sins. And according to the foreordained purpose of God, Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross and he suffered the rejection of the Father. I'm so glad that last week, Pastor Joe Allen chose to preach from Psalm 22. Again, words about Jesus, right? For on the cross, our Savior died crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to that is that he was rejected for our redemption, for our deliverance. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer. It was necessary because the price for our disobedience must be paid. It doesn't just disappear. I've often marveled at someone who expressed that to me, that, uh, that when we become a Christian, uh, the, the, the penalty uh, that, was, that we had deserved is, is just kind of wiped away as if the cross has no meaning whatsoever. 
But the cross is full of meaning because it is by his death that our justification comes. It is by his death that that we are healed. It is by his death that the wrath of God and the payment for our sins is completely satisfied. And Psalm 118 has spoken of it poetically in this idea of the rejection of the stone. It also speaks prophetically. And in these last verses of Psalm 118, it speaks of the sacrifice being bound to the altar. What's glorious about this is that even in the Old Testament context, God was leading them to to understand that the sacrifice to come would bring light and forgiveness. In the context of that verse, it says, God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice to the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. And prophetically, David was looking forward to the perfect sacrifice to come. He was looking forward to Jesus. And Psalm 118 tells that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. And in looking back at at deliverance in that Old Testament uh, fashion of Psalm 118, God was also prompting them to look forward to the Savior to come. And that is, uh, that's faith, isn't it? We, We remember what Christ has done for us. We remember that Christ's body was broken on the cross, that his blood was poured out. And in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we, we do this in remembrance of him. But we also look forward. There's an already and not yet to faith, isn't there? The already is the accomplished work of redemption that is applied to us right now. And we rest and know that right now we are children of God, but we also look forward to what is to come and the wiping away of the sin that entangles us. We do these things, the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, until he comes again. It is necessary for the Christ to suffer for our redemption. It's also necessary for the Christ to rise again. He has become the chief cornerstone. Because he humbled himself, God has exalted him. Think again of the the importance of the cornerstone, importance and honor of that place. And this this is what Jesus has. The importance of honor because he is the source and the foundation of our redemption. Our deliverance comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ for us, the sacrifice that has been bound to the altar. 
but there is also this prophetic word that is given in verse 17. I shall not die, but live. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And so Jesus in his resurrection has also become a cornerstone for our hope, which is to come the hope of the resurrection of our bodies and the culmination of, of our salvation in heaven. Now, David wrote these words, and from his perspective, he was hard-pressed, and he would remember the deliverance of old, anticipating the deliverance to come, and can speak of the way the Lord had preserved him so that he became a living witness of God's power to save. And in a very similar way, the resurrection establishes Jesus as a living witness. His resurrection is a testimony that God has accepted the sacrifice that he made. And God has exalted him. And he is living now as proof positive of his power over sin and his power over death and his power to save you. And so... In Psalm 118, it speaks of the way in which we enter in to this glorious presence and this glorious promise that is bound up in Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus that you may enter in and have life. And that's part of the call of the gospel of Psalm 118, to enter into the glorious presence of God must come through the gate of righteousness. It must come through the sacrifice that has been made in Jesus Christ as he died on the cross and through the risen Savior who mediates for you. And Psalm 118 invites you into the glorious presence of God through Jesus Christ. And as you believe in Jesus Christ, you too then become a living witness, a living witness of what God has done and will do, a living witness to the necessity of the suffering of Jesus Christ and the hope of the risen Savior. We can see this even beginning in the New Testament as Peter himself cites Psalm 118 as part of the hope of a believing church, the church of the New Testaments on this side of Jesus Christ, who can reach back into that those Old Testament promises and see Jesus. And Peter does this in two places, in Acts chapter 4 and then in 1 Peter chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, Peter had healed the uh, the lame man and they ask uh, the people come and they ask him by what authority do do you do this peter says by jesus <laughs> by jesus's authority he is the chief cornerstone and much like the physical deliverance out of egypt comes to stand for the spiritual promises of deliverance Peter does the exact same thing. The lame man walks by the authority of Jesus Christ, and he goes on to say, 
nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He takes that physical deliverance and the lame man becomes this living witness to the power of Jesus to save. Isn't that, it's just glorious to see. And then in his letter, in his first letter, He's speaking to the church and he, and he talks about how we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We are built on the foundation of Jesus who is the chief cornerstone and he cites 118 again. And he, he, he takes that theme of the Egyptian deliverance to speak of our spiritual deliverance and the hope of everlasting life that that brings and then the living witness that we are to the world around. And he calls us to live such lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ so that though they persecute you, they will come to rejoice that there is a God in heaven. Psalm 118, again, points us to recognize the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was raised again for our justification, says Paul. So today, as you, as you look back and you celebrate a point in history, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do so remembering that the great overarching story of all of Scripture is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That he came and he laid down his life by his death on the cross to satisfy the penalty that we have deserved. It was necessary for him to do so, so that we would be redeemed, that our sins would be forgiven. It was also necessary that he rise so that our faith and our hope of resurrection would rest on him. And so as you look back at this, this point in history, really the, the pivotal point of all of history, remember the death, remember the resurrection, praise God for both of them, and remember that God has made you a living witness to his power to save. The salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of sins, the salvation of our bodies and the resurrection from the dead. This is Psalm 118. It's the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Remember and look forward. Let's pray. Hosanna, Lord. Hosanna, oh save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God who laid his life down for us. Oh God, as your children, we pray that you would receive our thanks for you have redeemed us from the grave, both spiritually and physically. 
We thank you for the already and not yet aspect of that. We know already the forgiveness of our sins, and we look forward to that glorious day when our bodies will also be raised. We pray, God, that we would be living testimonies, living witnesses of your power to save, and that you would be bringing others to recognize the person and work of Jesus Christ as a Savior. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today who have been mistaken about why Jesus came or have been mistaken about their own right standing in your eyes and have never repented and trusted in Christ, I pray, O Lord, that they would hear these glorious words and that they would come to recognize Jesus Christ who has come to be our Savior and that they would enter into your presence, not by their own works of righteousness, but by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing these words that close Psalm 118. God's mercy endures forever. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing Psalm 118E. Mm -hmm.